You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, just wrap up a couple things, talk about what has happened to the Eagles already in the last two days, three days since the Super Bowl ended. We'll look forward to next season's Super Bowl odds that are out already. Patrick Mahomes and his numbers, they still marvel. Major League Baseball, pitchers and catchers reporting soon, if not Maybe they already did. I don't even know. But we're getting close to spring training in baseball already. And we've got some rule changes to go over in Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the NBA All-Star Game in comparison with the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and a thing that I've always had a question on. And we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's start off with this. I told you yesterday in the Sports Daily my biggest issue with the whole thing regarding the holding call at the end of the game against the Eagles was it was the only holding call of the game. And in a 60-minute football game, you cannot tell me that one offensive lineman didn't hold, one defensive lineman didn't get held on either side, and no other cornerbacks held the whole game until that one play. And yet, the more I've listened to sports talk radio and the talking heads on TV, I still have yet to hear one analyst out there bring that up. They've all said, I mean, most of them have basically had the same take, like, man, you just can't make that call in that spot to basically end the Super Bowl. It's too big of a spot to make a call like that on a play that wasn't an egregious holding call. They've pretty much all said that. One analyst, I can't remember who it was, likened it to getting a ticket for going 50 and a 45. Like, yeah. You broke the law, but how many times are they really giving that ticket out? And yet, I just can't believe no one has said another reason why that call was unbelievably made was nobody had held all game. Nobody, they had never thrown a holding flag all game. Like I said yesterday, it made all the sense in the world if they were calling this game close. And the referees had thrown numerous holding calls, whether it was offensive line on either team or in the secondary. They didn't call one holding call all game. There was only one penalty all game that was over five yards. Everything was a false start, hands to the face, neutral zone infraction, one penalty over five yards the whole game. And that was in the first quarter when the Eagles had down the field pass interference where the guy started blocking before the receiver caught the ball. That was it. Kansas City had three penalties for 14 yards all in the first half. The Eagles had six penalties for 33 yards total in the game. It was just a very let's let them play game, which is what you want out of the Super Bowl. You don't want flags every third play. Ruins the rhythm. But yet that holding call, really? Like I said, it did not lose. That wasn't the reason the Eagles lost the game, but it was the reason the game ended. You can't deny that. It prevented us from getting any sort of dramatic ending because the Eagles could not stop the clock after that penalty. I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked that not one person has brought this up, at least that I've heard. Guess they didn't do their homework. Anyway, I told you about Philly yesterday. Man, what a kick to the nuts. Lose the World Series back in end of October, beginning of November, whenever it ended. Lose the Super Bowl four months later. That's got to be tough. 
Oh, yeah. And then yesterday you lost your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator. Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, takes the head coaching job with the Colts. And Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, takes the head coaching job with the Arizona Cardinals. But that's what happens. I mean, we've seen this numerous times in the NFL. What happened when Sean McVay got the head coaching job with the Rams and then his coaching tree just started to branch off? Zach Taylor got a job with the Bengals. I'm already forgetting. Um, I'm blanking on the Chargers coach's name. Right, and um, Brandon Staley, he came from the Rams. So it's like success breeds success. Eagles, you had a great year. One of the best offenses in the league, number one ranked defense. Of course, teams are coming for your coaches, and they did. You've now lost your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator from a team that brought you. These guys were a Super Bowl coaching staff this year. So you got to retool. You got to reload. Nick Saban does it all the time. He loses his coordinators every year, it seems like. He seems to be able to do it. Let's see if Nick Sirianni can do it. And you also got to remember the Eagles have a lot of free agents. And when you do have success like they do, these guys want to get paid. And when it comes to football and the salary camp, you can't pay everybody. They are going to lose players. It's just a matter of who. And who do they keep? They do have a lot of picks, so that'll help them. But those picks have to step in and play right away if you want to equal the success that you had this year. But success breeds success. So while you had a great year, 14-3, and you were five minutes away. You were tied in the Super Bowl with five minutes left. You were that close to winning. Every year is different in the NFL. Just because you dominated this year does not mean anything come next year. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but on the average, now that seven teams make it, but that's only been the last three years, seven teams makes the playoffs in each conference. So let's go back to pre-2020. Twelve teams made the playoffs every year in the NFL. Six in the AFC, six in the NFC. On average, for like 20 years, from 2000 to 2020, did you realize it was something on the average of like six different teams every year made the playoffs? So you take the previous year's playoff teams, 12 playoff teams, six of them were going to be different on average the following year. That's how hard the NFL is year to year. You just don't have repeated success, which is why the Patriots' domination was so amazing because they were there every year. They were one of the ones that really never turned over. But it was an amazing stat. I don't know since they went to seven teams, if it's still six have changed, all it would take would be looking at the last three years' playoffs teams and figuring it out. But I guarantee there is a lot of turnover for sure. I don't know if it's been six each year or now. Maybe that there's 14 teams in the playoffs. Maybe it's seven. But for 20 years, it was roughly right around half every year. Half the teams that made the playoffs the previous year did not make it the following year. So you can just almost pencil that in. You're not going to have the same 14 teams next season. You're probably only going to have maybe eight, nine that are going to be the same. So who are the five teams that are going to drop out? Who are the five teams that are going to drop in? Clearly, if you're just looking at it from the outside now, the teams that were hot at the end of the season, the Steelers, the Lions, probably good shots to make the playoffs next year just because they were playing so well. At the end of this year, they have good teams. They finished above 500. They were one game out of getting to the playoffs. Teams that you could probably take out. Well, if the, uh, if, uh, the Vikings slip after their crazy year where they won all those close games, they might slip out. I mean, you just you, you never know. 
but you can guarantee there's going to be four to six new teams in the playoffs next year. It's just a matter of who. And again, if we knew what this this is going to be or who the teams were going to be, we'd all be rich. So the other thing I want to talk about in regards to the Super Bowl where the odds have been put up already for next year. And this is always fun to look at. Remember, I put my Eagles bet in on the Super Bowl on July 30th. So we were into training camps. We hadn't even had our first preseason game of the year, and I got the Eagles at 23.5 to 1. And I put in the Chargers, the Dolphins, and the Ravens as well. So obviously I lost those. But I don't – I'm not picking the chalk. I'm not picking the favorite because there's just no return on that. You want to try and get something like 15 to 25 to 1. That's what I look at. When I look at this odds for next year, right now the favorites, the Chiefs are 6 to 1, the Bills are 8.5 to 1, the Eagles 9 to 1. I'm not picking them to win the Super Bowl next year. And they, you know, they very well might. I'm just, there's no money, there's no excitement in, in that form. You want a big return. So I'm looking at 15 to 25, 15 to 1 to 25 to 1. Right now the Cowboys are 15 to 1, the Ravens are 16 to 1, the Chargers are 20 to 1, the Packers are 25 to 1, Jaguars. Lions and Jets all 25 to 1, Rams 30 to 1. I mean, all teams that if things swung the right way, sure, you could see them winning it. I don't know if uh, Lamar Jackson is going to resign with the Ravens. Right now, they're sitting at 16 to 1. You could be like, well, I think Lamar is going to resign because so I want to get them at the best price possible. Because the second he signs, that's dropping. Chargers at 20 to 1, not a decent bet. Not a decent bet. Packers 25 to 1, again, if you knew Aaron Rodgers was re signing with the Packers, they'd be a good value at 25 to 1. But you don't know that. If he doesn't sign, you have zero chance of winning that bet. And that and that probably jumps to 40 or 50 to 1 if he doesn't come back to the Packers. The Jets sitting at 25 to 1, rumored to be in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes. Maybe you look at that. Like, wait, I can get the Jets at 25 to 1, and if Rodgers ends up there, that's dropping probably down to 15 to 1. So do I take a chance now and hope that he lands there? I mean, that's what you have to look at when you look at these odds. Is there anybody that's a long shot, 40 to 1 or more, that you could see winning the Super Bowl next year? Saints? Look, the NFC is wide open. If you're going to pick somebody a long shot, it's got to be out of the NFC because we kind of know with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, um, what's his face, <laughs> Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow in the AFC, you got to think that one of those five is winning the Super Bowl. And all of them outside of Jacksonville are basically under 10 to 1. Bengals are 9 to 1. Bills are eight and a half to one. Chiefs are six to one. Justin Herbert and the Chargers twenty to one, and Jaguars twenty five to one. Your long shot would be the NFC, just because. Look, Jalen Hurts made it this year. He's a second year starting quarterback. Do we think he's getting there back to back years? Usually doesn't happen that way. Giants forty to one. Vikings forty to one. Saints thirty five to one. They're in the running for Derek Carr. What if he ends up there? Good defense, good offense if they get Derek Carr. Bears 65 to 1. I don't see it with Justin Fields, but what if they end up with a quarterback and they give up on Fields? We just, there's a lot 
Now, this is the odds right now. Obviously, they are going to be changing from once the draft hits because these teams will improve, either get better or worse. Once free agency hits, we're going to know where the quarterbacks go. So it's almost like a guessing game. Like, if you really think Derek Carr is going to end up on the Saints and sign with them, you grab the Saints now because they're 35 to 1. If he ends up there, they're dropping at least to 25 or 20 to 1. So interesting to look at. I don't know who I'm going for yet. I need to put more thought into this. But if I am going to pick a surprise team, I'm probably all my Super Bowl futures this year are probably going to be out of the NFC. Unless I go with the Chargers at 20 to 1. Because I just don't see any value in taking the Chiefs, the Bills or the Bengals. It just you just have to hope that you know, even though they're probably they're going to be the favorites and and be there in the playoffs, I just you got to hope for something. Nobody thought the Eagles would be anywhere close to the Super Bowl this year. And look where, you know, I had a chance. So that's what I'm looking for. But those are the odds as of right now. All right, we got some Major League Baseball rules. And like I said at the beginning, pitchers and catchers reporting. Man, we're already into baseball season. Seriously? Again, I don't really pay much attention to baseball until the NBA season is over. Most people don't until about the All-Star break. But we do have a lot of rule changes in baseball this year. And starting with the bags, they're increasing the bases by four inches. Okay? (laughs) I know they want it to be safer. They want the first baseman to have a little more room and not get stepped on. Okay? I don't know why it's 2023. Baseball's been around since, what, the 1800s? Why, Why now? Whatever. Don't really care about that rule. They are keeping in the extra inning rule where once the 10th inning starts, you start with a runner on second base, the guy who made the last out in the previous inning to save uh, relief pitchers. I'm fine with that. The biggest one is going to be the pitch clock. It's been used in the minor league systems for a while now. It is now being brought to the major leagues. Pitchers have 15 seconds from the time they catch the ball to throw the next pitch with nobody on base. 20 seconds with a runner on base. So right when you catch the ball, clock starts. You'll see it in the stadium. Everyone can see it. The pitcher will be able to see it. And then right when you start your windup is when it shuts off. If you don't do that in time, it's automatically called a ball. As for the batter, he has to be in the batter's box facing the pitcher with eight seconds left. If he's dilly-dallying around and scratching his nuts and spinning somewhere, it's automatically called a strike. And you might think, wow, that's kind of harsh. It's really worked in the minor leagues. It's cut about 20 to 25 minutes off games and speeds up the game, which is really all baseball can do at this point because it's just way too boring. And it's just it's just getting its ass kicked by football and basketball, just faster moving sports, more action. And it's just baseball is no longer in the national pastime. It just is what it is. Times change. Everyone's got a short attention span now and sitting through a baseball game is really boring. Sorry, it just is. And I love baseball, but I know it's boring. So I am fine with the pitch clock. The other thing that's going to improve offense, we're going to see a lot more offense this year, higher batting averages, is the fact that they've eliminated the defensive shifts, which is weird. I understand why they're doing it. They want to increase offense because baseball's offense has been slowly on the decline for the last four or five years, it's either hit a home run or strike out, and it's been very boring, low-scoring games, whatever. 
and with being able to put four infielders on one side of the infield and deep into right field, it's just it's really taking away a lot of offense. And right now, the new rule starting this year is you can only have two defenders on each side of second base, and each defender has to have their heels on the dirt. You can't have anybody in short left or short right field anymore. So that's going to increase offense, the shifts. But it's just a weird rule because we've never seen this in any other sport. That's literally like saying, hey, on defense, you can't blitz the quarterback in football. Can't do it. We don't want the defense to have any sort of advantage. Even though the whole goal in baseball, in any sport, is to prevent the other team from scoring, right? Well, what gives you the best chance to prevent the other team from scoring in baseball? By aligning your defense, by using scouting reports on where people hit the ball, that's why they do defensive shifts because this guy, 80% of the time, hits it in this direction. So let's line up and make sure we catch it if it goes in that direction. And they're saying, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so it is weird. I understand it to a certain extent. Gun and Caprice offense, I get it. But it is weird because no other sport does that. No other sport says, oh, hey, in basketball, if a guy starts driving, you have to let him drive. You can't defend him. Football, no. Uh, if, if they're if they're going to, you can't blitz them. Nope. So <laughs> it's just, it's really weird. Um, and then um, a limit of two pickoff attempts per batter, uh, runner on base. If you step off the rubber or throw over to first base or second base, you can't have more than two uh, per runner or else uh, it's automatically like, ruled as a balk and that runner gets to advance as we mentioned about a month ago eventually you're going to have robot umpires not an actual robot behind the plate there will be an umpire behind the plate but we'll have an earpiece in and he is notified by a computer system ball or strike and then he just signals ball or strike but that's coming because it's taking over all triple a teams will be using robot umpires this year they would not put it in triple a especially every single affiliate in triple a to not have it eventually come to Major League Baseball in three to five years. It's coming. Get ready for that, but that's not this year. Like I said, the runner thing with the bases being bigger this year, I don't know. Red Sox manager Alex Cora said they look like pizza boxes. So <laughs> not really sure uh, what that really does. It says it's going to increase stolen bases because the inches – the the bags are four inches bigger, so you have a, you know, how many times do you see on a steal the cl a close play at second and his hand gets in? Well, now the his hand's going to be four inches closer than what it would have been when the bases were what they were for the last I don't know how many years. Is that going to be much of an advantage? Are teams going to be stealing all the all the time right now? No, and I don't really care if they steal. If I gave you a gazillion guesses. Hell, if you live in the city of Miami and I gave you a gazillion guesses, could you guess who led the Major League Baseball in steals last year? John Birdie. 41 stolen bases. You remember the years when Ricky Henderson would steal 125, 130 bases a year? The league leader has 41, and his name is John Birdie. John Birdie could walk up to me and punch me in the face, and I wouldn't know who John Birdie is. And I watch a lot of baseball. Granted, I don't watch a lot of Miami Marlins baseball, but I watch a fair amount of baseball, especially if I'm gambling on it. I have the Major League Baseball Extra Innings Package. I'll watch games from out of town all the time. And you know why? Because I like listening to announcers in other cities. I want to see who's good 
And who is it? It's kind of how I found F.P. Santangelo when he was on my podcast a couple times in the past. And then finding out he has, uh, you know, a friendship with Jacqueline Trumbull. So that's what I mean. There are, there are definitely uh, other cities that I really like their broadcasters. Some I think are really boring, but I do like hearing other ones. And so that's where we're at. New rules in baseball. We'll see how it goes for the first few months. I'm sure we'll have a, we'll reconvene with this in a, in a, in a few months and talk about it and be like, oh, this seems to be working. This doesn't seem to be working. I, the infield shift is the biggest one. The, the pitch clock, I don't think, is going to be a huge thing. There are certain pitchers that take a lot of time on the mound, and they're going to have to speed it up, but whatever. The amount of time the games last are going to be probably cut by 15 to 20 minutes, I'm sure, with the pitch clock. But the defensive shift is going to change all statistics now. You're going to see a lot more guys hitting over 300 just because they don't have to worry about someone in short right field taking away a line drive single from them. That would normally go right over the second baseman's head. So that's going to be interesting. It's going to add, like I said, a lot of offense, but at the detriment of the game, we won't know until this takes place. Yes, I grew up watching baseball where there was no such thing as teams never shifted because there was no such thing as analytics and other teams studying players' launch angles and where they hit the ball and all that stuff. But now analytics are a major part of the game. This is, and that's where the complaint came in was analytics are killing baseball because we're shifting over and preventing all these hits and runs from being scored. And that's what people want to see when they go out to a ball game. For me, I don't really care. I can see, I can just as much enjoy a 2 1 pitching duel than I can a 10 8 slugfest. Doesn't matter to me. But I do understand it to a certain extent because baseball's offensive numbers has been on the decline, and we haven't seen numbers like this in years. So they figured we got to do something. NBA changed their defensive policy about 10 years ago. Now you see all these games in the you know 110, 122, 116 finals. Do you remember what the final scores were in the early 2000s? We had NBA finals games that were 83-79. And the NBA was just lacking, and now they just said, screw it, no. Let's make the game a little bit freer, and now you see the scores that you do. But 10, 15 years ago, no, you weren't seeing scores like this in the NBA. But they made a change, and now how popular is the NBA? Not saying the Major League Baseball is just going to fly off the charts now and they're gonna, we're going to have 15 to 12 games every night, no. But I think people just want to see offense when they go to a ball game. I don't care either way, but the average fan – Yeah, they want to see offense. And I wanted to end with this. The All-Star game for the NBA is this weekend. I've always found this weird. I've never really understood it. I understand it to the extent that the NBA has to have their All-Star game after the Super Bowl. They're not going to do it before or the weekend before. But the NBA All-Star game is this weekend, and most teams in the NBA by this weekend will have played 56 to 58 games out of an 82-game schedule. That's 68% of the schedule has already been played before the quote-unquote halfway point of the season. Well, that's way over. I mean, the halfway point of an NBA season is game 41 because it's an 82-game season. Usually I thought you wanted, unless it's just this misconception that the All-Star weekend is supposed to be halfway through the season. It's not. It's 68% through the season and because they are not going to do it before the Super Bowl. Major League Baseball has their all-star game 
around the 92-game mark, which is only about 10 games over the midway point because 162 games divided by two is 81 games. They have theirs around the 92 mark. So they're only about 50%, 57%, 58% of the way through the season when they have their all-star game. I've always thought that was just kind of weird. NFL, we know, does it after the season. And, you know, we, we, we went over that last week with the um, all-star competition and stuff. But, yeah, it's just it's not the halfway point, which is what you think about. I think when most people think of the all-star game, they just think, oh, we're halfway through the season. No, no. <laughs> You only got about 32% of the season left in the NBA after this weekend's All-Star game. Major League Baseball, you have more. It's about 57 58% through the season when it happens in July. Just thought you might want to know that. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe to it. Rate it. Review it. I'd really appreciate it. Helping this thing get uh, bigger and bigger. So... I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!